I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. In 1984, avid bike collector Keith Perriani did something incredible. He and a small group of gents mounted their antique high-wheel bikes and rode across the country from San Francisco to Boston. It wasn't like we were circling back. It wasn't a race. It wasn't a a circular motion. Every day we were moving forward and uh, closer to our destination. And I think that that was, at the end of the day, that was the reward. And in the morning, the reward again was, hey, here's a new new day, new people we were going to meet, new places that we were going to see, and new landscape we were going to be a part of. The bike Keith rode from coast to coast, along with other magnificent bikes from his incredible collection, are on display at a show he curated called Ride On at the Leitner Museum in St. Augustine, Florida. Hop on and ride with us with an all-new episode of Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Costa Rica at the Fancy Nasty Studios, this is another edition of Swan Dive. I'm Ron Rothberg, and in Costa Rica on the coast... The beautiful Guanacaste Coast. It's Stuart Sheldon. Welcome into Swan Dive again, Stu. Thank you, Ron. It's so nice to be here. And it's been a minute since we did an episode. We took a couple of months off just for the holidays and for our own spiritual wellness. And I got to say, as a creative person, uh, it really fills me up to take a little pause and, uh, and then come back to something that I love, super energized and ready to attack. And that's how I feel today. I'm very excited. We've got a very, very interesting eclectic guest. And let's just get right after it. Yeah, you got it. It's these intersections of life that keep happening. And the intersection of life brings us to Keith Perriano, who's actually here in the Swan Dive studio in Jacksonville, Florida, on this beautiful early spring day. Keith, welcome to Swan Dive. Well, thank you. And it's wonderful to be here from St. Augustine, Florida, and the weather is absolutely perfect. Absolutely. So how did we intersect with Keith? That's the story of today. Let me give a little bit of an introduction for you, and then we'll just jump right into this thing. Ride On is an incredible exhibit of antique bikes from the late 1900s, and it's currently on display at the Leitner Museum in St. Augustine, Florida. The former Hotel Alcazar, created in 1880 by Henry Flagler. I couldn't think of a better backdrop for our guest and your collection of antique bikes than that museum. Keith Periani's masterful collection of bikes is what brought us together, actually. Uh, My business, Art Bikes and Tucker Cycles, are proud to sponsor this show. And it's an incredible intersection of bikes, art, and passion. Aside from being an accomplished bike collector, Keith is a successful businessman, a few years retired from his career as one of Central Florida's premier pool builders. Um, Keith also did something incredible. In 1984, you rode uh, across the country, left San Francisco on a high-wheeled Columbia bike, following the path taken 100 years earlier by Thomas Stevens, and you guys rode across the country in like 61 days, ending in Boston. The bike Keith rode is currently on display at the Ride On exhibit at the Leitner. So welcome back. 
Well, thank you very much. And I want to make one correction. These bicycles are not from the late 1900s, but from the from 1868 to 1899 in that one small span. Well, and, and talk about that one small span, because there was a lot going on in bicycling in that small span. It, it was a tremendous, uh, it was the Gilded Age in the United States. It's the Industrial Revolution in the United States. It was after the Civil War. The economy is booming, and the technology, the engineers, uh, factories, everything is just going haywire there. And uh, uh, the bicycle just exploded. Uh, it was 1868, 1869, the Velocipede. The word bicycle had not been coined quite yet. That wasn't until later in 1874. And a gentleman uh, uh, decides to go in business. He goes to the World's Fair in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1876. And lo and behold, there's the bicycle there being exhibited by a English company. And he travels back to England, uh, commissions them, buys bicycles, brings them back over here in 1878, 1879. And from there, he just takes the torch and rolls forward and he becomes the largest bicycle manufacturer in the United States. Hmm. What was it like in your life knowing all that information and all that history you had. Can you remember the first time you took a ride on a bicycle? I sure can. It was in Maitland, Florida. And uh, friends of mine called and, hey, Keith, we need to see these, you need to see these bicycles here. You need to come and ride them. And that's what happened. And from that moment on, I was hooked. Uh, The very next day, uh, they loaned me a bicycle and we ended up in uh, um, the Easter Parade at Disney World. Uh, we were treated like royalty. It was a, a group of uh, cyclists that uh, formed a club in 1967 called The Wheelman. It's a national organization. And the Disney folks, they treated us just like royalty, like I said. We parked in a special place. The gates open. We mounted our bikes and we're out in the public for everyone is cheering and applauding and pointing. And from that moment on, I was just hooked and had to have one. Well, you said mounted the bikes. So these things, when we talk about it, I want you to paint the picture of what these things look like because, you know, that was the Gilded Age. We talked about the history of these bikes, but they were not easy to ride. No, they weren't easy to ride. And you also had no roads to ride them on. And uh, it's a very, very large front wheel in diameter, a uh, very small wheel. What, is, as what is the size of that? What is the size of that diameter? I, 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 want, I want you to literally describe for me the physicality of the of the bike and how you get up on it and ride it. <laughs> An average human in that time frame would have ridden a, a front wheel bicycle that would have been anywhere from 54 inches to about 57, 58 inches in diameter. Now, 60 inches is a five foot wheel. So you're literally, your vision is approximately almost 10 feet in the air. Hmm. And that's, uh, you can almost get altitude sickness at that height. <laughs> uh, the little trailing wheel, Um, was there just to uh, stabilize the uh, front wheel. The idea behind it was that uh, the bigger the front wheel, the the further distance you were able to travel with little momentum at all, with with little effort whatsoever. You got to also remember that the the roads were almost nondescript. Uh, Gravel, maybe sand, clay, dirt, whatever. And um, because of the bicycle, the good roads movement uh, did come about in 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 the uh, early, early 1900s. Hmm. So it's a task. And there weren't that many people that were able to ride these things. 
It was a task. Uh, it was military precision because the people that uh, formed the clubs were all men. Women were not riding these bikes at all whatsoever. Um, you had to mount it from the step that was over the little wheel, hands on your handlebars. You kick off with your right foot. You've got to have some kind of uh, uh, stability with riding one of these bicycles. And, and there is a lot of effort and athletic ability. And these gentlemen were, you know, a lot of them were in their 40s and 50s and 60s years old, but they rode in, in military precision. They were all outfitted in uh, uh, knickers, uh, stockings, uh, shoes, hats, jackets, and they rode side by side or four by four or whatever the case may be. They rode in parades uh, all over the United St- or all over the eastern United States, mainly in Boston and Pennsylvania and New York City. Hmm. And you rolled one of those guys across the country. A group of us, uh, probably around early 1984, we read an article about a gentleman uh, by the name of Thomas Stevens, and he is credited with the very first ride across the United States in 1884. Now, 1884, again, after the Civil War, the there are no roads. It's whatever paths are out there were for wagons and horseback. Um, there are train trestles, and he followed a lot of the train trestles. And we put our, our heads together and uh, decided to do this ride. There was eight of us that did it, and then we had two vehicles with us as sag wagons. We left San Francisco um, on the same day that uh, Thomas Stevens left, and we arrived in Boston on August the 4th, the same day he arrived. <laughs> and you guys were on the same kind of big wheel uh, bikes? That's correct. And that was the thing about it. I'm probably one of under 30 people in the world's history that have ridden an authentic high wheel bicycle across the United States. Now, Thomas Stevens rode a 50 inch Columbia Pope manufactured bike. And I rode a uh, 54 inch Columbia light roadster. It's a little bit different model bike across the U.S. So so Stu has a history in biking. You were uh, in the bike publishing business. So you were in uh, uh, Velo News was the magazine that Stu worked for. That's right. That's right. And I spent seven years in the in the competitive bike space of bike racing, road and mountain bike. And with Swan Dive, we've had the great honor of having as guests Scott Nickel, who is one of the inventors of mountain biking um, in his company, Ibis Cycles, and makes some of the finest bikes available today. And Aaron Huey, National Geographic photographer, artist. Uh, and a gentleman who walked across the United States with his camera and his dog uh, many years ago uh, just because he felt the the impulse to do it. So I feel like your accomplishment, which is singular, uh, is something that we've kind of just been relating to. And I really want to get inside of your headspace in this process because you know, to go out on your bike and, and ride around your neighborhood is one thing. To go ride uh, in the open wilderness where you don't see a person or a car or anything for days, that's a whole other story. And so tell us about this, uh, about what, what made you compelled to do it. And once you were on it, some of the triumphs, some of the tribulations uh, of the experience. I had been involved in in the high wheel bicycle, never road bikes, never modern day bikes for about 10 years. And they were uh, parade riding, Super Bowl, uh, Knoxville uh, uh, 
World's Fair. We opened that up. We opened up Epcot Parade, did Disney World's parades, and no long-distance riding at all whatsoever. I knew nothing about nutrition, knew nothing about the clothing, knew absolutely nothing about what I was getting myself into at all whatsoever. Uh, basically, I wore a pair of socks, tennis shoes, cut-off shorts, which were Levi jeans, and um, a T-shirt and a hat, and that was it. You wore jorts across America. I wore shorts across America. No, yeah. jorts. <laughs> Jean shorts. Jean shorts. Yes. Jorts. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, of course, not realizing, uh, you know, and I hate to say, but wearing underwear and had a little bit of problems there or there, but, you know, you, <laughs> you just rode on because it, every day was a new, a new adventure, you know, uh, it wasn't like we were circling back. It wasn't a race. It wasn't a, a circular motion. Every day we were moving forward and uh, closer to our destination. And I think that that was, the, at the end of the day, that was the reward. And in the morning, the reward again was, hey, here's a new, a new day, new people we were going to meet, a new places that we were going to see, and new landscape we were going to be a part of. But, but going back to the vehicle that you were on, the high wheel, the, you had a direct pedal. You couldn't coast. Correct. There is no coasting at all. They are direct drive. All of the high wheel bicycles are like that. And also my bike did not have brakes. So <laughs> when we walked up uh, Donner Summit in California, um, we had about a four hour walk and we started on the California side and it was snow, wind, ice. Uh, we were in, we had some jackets on, but then once we got the other side on the Truckee side and we were able to coast and we would coast at 50, 45, 50 miles an hour at times. Now the sun's out. Now you change your outfit and ride down into that area. The same thing happened in the Wasatch Range when we mm. had to work walk about three to four hours uh, to get up the mountain. Wow. That sounds absolutely treacherous. I mean, <laughs> it's hard enough to, you know, to coast downhill on a on a 10-speed, or excuse me, on like a road bike, but to do it on a high-wheel bike, and if you do happen to wipe out, and you're coming from 10 feet up at 50 miles an hour. I mean, that's not, that's no joke, man. Did, was there any serious injuries? Did you, nobody really terrified? had, nobody really had any serious injuries, but one, uh, one of the uh, participants, he was wearing a, a slicker and it was long and uh, the wind caught it. And the next thing he knows, he, he realizes that it's come up and over his eyes and his <laughs> face and he has to struggle to get it off. Uh, the one thing that I would mention is that uh, because the bikes don't have any um, brakes, there's no uh, gears, there's really, once you commit to high speed, that's it. You are committed to go that speed until the hill runs out. Uh, the pedals uh, will throw your your uh, uh, front wheel out of motion. It's not like it's a balanced wheel. And you really have to hold on with all your strength. Mm. Uh, there is a way to control it. You can come off, put your left foot on the step that's located over the little wheel and kind of help brake with the right wheel. But that's a dangerous thing. A lot of guys, what we do is just, of course, I was 28 years old. I'm young and I'm dumb and I'm I don't have any any uh, uh, fears whatsoever. You would throw your legs over the handlebars. Jeez. And at that point, you are 100% committed. And I was clocked uh, going into Medicine Bow, Wyoming, um, at 55 miles an hour with a wow. car beside me. Wow. Well, let, let, me, let, me add, let me add a little bit of color here for, because for, so everyone understands what we're talking about. Let me start with a quote by a fellow named Christopher Morley. The bicycle... The bicycle surely 
should always be the vehicles of novelists and poets. So there you are, my friend. You are a novelist and or a poet, as far as I'm concerned, for what you've done. You're also insane, which is the, <laughs> the highest compliment that I could give you. And for those people who don't know, you know, single speed bicycles are a cult. Are, 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 there are riders who are absolutely committed and devoted to riding their bikes with just one speed. And the reason that that is attractive is that it's very simple mechanically and it demands a great deal from you when you're going up a hill. Uh, and you know, you basically have one speed and that's it. You know, you go as hard as you can. It is a very, very challenging on hills and people that do it in the Bay area in California and San Francisco, as you can imagine, um, are respected greatly yep. because it's so ridiculously difficult. So for you to do that on this giant bicycle over mountain ranges, like the Rocky mountains and the Wasatch range and so forth is just borderline absurd. I suspect on most pitches going up, you have to walk your bike. Is that right? True. But you also have to figure that by we were all pretty athletic, the guys that, that went. Okay. And, and I was the youngest. And ironically, as you know, with cycling, one bike goes slower than two bikes. Two bikes will always go faster than the one because you've got somebody that right. can pace you and ride together. And I yeah. hooked up you're with- draft, the, You're drafting as well. Right. And I hooked up with the oldest rider. Now, I'm 28 years old, and the oldest rider was 80 years old. Oh, my gosh. And he and I just clicked, and we rode together all the time. And I remember one time uh, coming through what was called the Three Sisters. Now, you got to remember, I, I have no clue what we're getting into. I, I just, I'm green as green as grass. And there's a place in Wyoming called the Three Sisters. And it's uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. And when I say a hill, Florida, it would be a, considered a mountain. And uh, we were able to ride all the way up it. But I remember coming down... Um, legs over the handlebars. And for some reason, I kind of slipped off the edge of the road and uh, f did a header, fell into the grass. The bike flips over. I flip over a few times and the bike stands up on its uh, handlebars straight up in perfect motion. Wow. Um, and my partner there, uh, his name was Nolan Bay. Um, he had a propensity to stop the bike and not understanding and realizing he was so high up and just fall over on his side. So that was kind of always kind of the joke. So, so this collection that you have, um, anybody in Florida around the country, the Lightner is worthy of your time and to see this, it's a portion of your collection, right? What's on display right now is a portion of your collection. I really want to talk about this passion point. Was your passion for bikes ignited by this trip across the country or was it already there uh, when that happened? I think the passion was, has been there for many, many, many years. Uh, uh, I've always been interested in cars, antique cars and antique motorcycles. And I think I raced motorcycles there for a while, got to be too expensive. And then I came upon the bicycle and I said, I can have two, three times as many bicycles. I don't have to put gas and oil in them and keep them in my house and enjoy them uh, more so than I could the motorcycle. So I kind of got away from the motorcycles. I still have cars. I still have motorcycles. But the bicycle really did take forefront in my collection. And I've been able through the years to collect some of the, the I would have to say, the best bicycles that have uh, been available in the world. Hmm. Stu, you got to see this. I mean, and, and, and one of the things that uh, drew me to this collection was when I first saw you, when I first met you, 
you said, you know, you were very intentional with this to say, this is art. This is not a linear collection of bikes through the ages. Uh, this is art. What is the artistic, what do you see in the art of, of, of a form and function of a bike? Well, every one of the bicycles that are on, on display are handpicked, and I've selected these through the years and being able to hold on to them. And every bike tells its own story, both mechanically, technology is there, uh, the machinists that built it, the companies that sold it, and then how that bike has, has, has transferred through the years through its ownership. I think that that's all a, a huge imp uh, importance to uh, the, the bicycling history. Uh, but you're right. It's not a history lesson that the bikes are there. It's, an, it's more our art because that's what uh, the Leitner Museum is, is, is an art museum. And when I first pitched, I've only been in St. Augustine a couple of years, and I walked by the Leitner uh, one day during the week, and I said, you know, I'll just go in there and talk with them. And I asked for the curator, and uh, he wasn't there. They gave me his email, and I went home, and I sat on it. And I was kind of on the fence. Is, would they really, really, truly be interested in this stuff and, and, and have the passion that I have? And the interest that I have. And I sat on it for about three days. And then I shot out an email to the curator. And I added a couple of pictures uh, with the email attached. And I, three minutes later, I get this huge yes with exclamation points. Yes, we want to see it. And like they said, I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them as a museum to have someone, a collection like this that's three blocks away. And 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 they've been on board and and very very excited and very supportive with with what they've done. Can I tell that story from Dave, the curator's point of view? Please do. Okay, so I'm at the opening and I'm talking to Dave. Uh, I forget his last name, but he's he's a fairly new to the Leitner, an English gent. Yes, and uh, he's telling me the story about Keith dropping by. Hey, I'd like to see the the curator i've got something you want to see and he finally acquiesces and he walks the three blocks to your house takes the elevator up to the third floor and looks at your collection he said i didn't know if he was going to drug me and take me to the basement or if i was going to get out alive but he had a cool collection of bikes so just so you know the nervousness that you felt on the other side am i worthy of this he had a different kind of nervousness jumping into your home so. i remember when he went he came up and it was just all smiles and he didn't have much to say and he just kind of walked around and I really couldn't feel the, the the air with him at all whatsoever and then finally he said I think we can do something with this <laughs> so let's 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 uh I want to spend a little time in that moment because the swan dive is about you know getting the courage to to, to sort of chase your dream you know clearly your dream your vision is, is in the beauty of mechanical things the beauty of things that move the beauty of things that go fast um, and in both the form and the function, you know, that, that, that harmony between those two things and uh, in, in a bicycle, you know, for those of us that love to ride bicycles, that, that, that is a, at its highest form. Um, you've spent your life in, in this, in this place, in this, this convergence of these two things with, with cars and bikes. And it sounds like you've done that sort of in, in, a, in quiet obscurity, you know, it's been your, your thing, you've been into it and you very, very strongly asserted your will on it and created this collection. Um, but you've, you know, you've, you've waited until now to share it with the world. So 
that's so interesting to me to have that much passion and intensity around something. Uh, and, and, but it was just for you, you know, it was just your, it was your thing and that was enough. Uh, and, and then one day there's this perfect sort of magic where this museum that's from that era, uh, is all of a sudden available to show your stuff. So tell me about like the decades of collecting these beautiful objects quietly and just having them because you appreciated them. And then what it was like to have them sort of be shared with the world. Well, it's uh, through the years, you wouldn't imagine how much time is spent road time walk time in flea markets and car shows and talking with people and antique uh, markets all over uh, the eastern United States, uh, all the way up into Pennsylvania. And I've chased bicycles for years and years and years. And sometimes it'll come to fruition. I'm chasing bicycles now for close to 40 years here in Jacksonville. But uh, I think a lot of the collectors, their ultimate dream is to have their own museum. And I've seen that through the years of different people. And it, it, that's what it is. It's a dream. And, and I'm just so proud and happy that uh, I was able to connect with the Leitner Museum. And uh, they were able to allow me <clears throat> the honor to show my bikes. And I was in there the other day, and I just sat there and just watched the people and just in the background. And it was... Uh, Finally, it's come to fruition for me that uh, people do appreciate uh, what they are and and the art that's behind them and the technology that's there. I think it's important. And and they start to get the idea. And there's a lot of questions uh, throughout. And I'm more than happy to answer those questions about the bikes. So what you just described was very similar to you describing your cross-country trek that the thing that got you up in the next the next day was that there were more people to meet, uh, and there was always going to be something on the horizon the next day. It sounds like your quest for bikes is very similar to that. That you're keeping that chase going forward, constantly looking for another bike. Always, in fact, I just sold uh, two bikes. Just went to California uh, yesterday, in fact, and uh, I've got a lead on another one uh, in Central Florida here that I'll probably go see within a week. And so this infection, this healthy infection of bikes, this thing that you have inside you, where'd it come from? I mean, what was, what, what was it? What is it that drives that? You know, I can't describe it. It's just, uh, the love for, uh, it's, 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 there's two, it's a double-edged sword. It's finding them and then being able to acquire them and owning them and then immediately well, I better sell it and get rid of it because there's always another one. Keith, I, I found another great quote, uh, which says, when I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized that the Lord doesn't work that way. So I stole one and asked him to forgive me. <laughs> that was by Emo Phillips. And that I read that quote because there's a certain naughtiness, a certain... There's something about the cycling community and the culture around cycling that it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's a little bit off off the beaten path, um, and, uh, and and there's something about you know a group of cyclists, particularly when you're out on a big ride, uh, multi day kind of thing or camping together, where you're telling stories, you're talking smack, 
uh, you're taking the piss and you're, you're just, you're laughing a lot of the way, both in the saddle and, and, uh, and at the end of the day, tell us a couple of stories about your trek across the country with some of these fellas and, and women, if there were any women uh, and, and what, you know, a couple of highlights that, that really stand with you for all, all these years later. I think that one of the biggest highlights is I was riding by myself and we had that day, the group had walked up the Wasatch range and we got to salt. What is it? Uh, no park city. And we were on interstate 80. Once we left uh, California through Wyoming Interstate 80 was the only route, but we were also duplicating Thomas Stevens route from 1884. And that was the same route that he would have taken. And I remember coming out through Colfax, Colfax, Utah, and there was cliffs on both sides of, of I-80 and the wind was to my back. And I was clipping along 25, 28 miles an hour on this high wheel bicycle by myself. I got into my own head and it was just a remarkable uh, day. The weather was perfect. And I think we traveled like about 60 miles that particular day because we had to get on to the next town so we could, you know, refresh ourselves. Uh, throughout Nebraska, uh, there was uh, the League of American Wheelmen uh, Homes. And these people back then, that was a, a kinder uh, society that we lived in, and they would just open their homes to us. Uh, here's a group of guys riding their bicycles across the United States. They host homes. They, everybody would go to separate homes. They would have an ice cream social in the park, and the the townspeople, three, four hundred townspeople would come out and greet us and treat us just wonderfully. And I think that that was a, a cherished moment in that type of ride. And I I find myself periodically just reflecting back on those moments. And it was, it, 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 I'm glad that I did the trip. Uh, it was a, re a very rewarding experience. Mm. Perhaps they washed your shirt and shorts too. <laughs> I, just... Let's hope. Um, it, it's, um, you know, your, your story, one of the things that intrigued me about your story um, was this idea that, you know, there's the, the action is the reward in itself. I mean, it's not like you buy the bike and you find the bike and you buy the bike and then something happens, you know, for, you basically put it in your house or whatever, and there it is. And that's, that, that's what, that's what you find satisfaction. And I found another quote, which I loved by Victorio de Sica. And, uh, he wrote the bicycle thief, which is directed mm -hmm. the bicycle thief, which I, I went to film school and you study this movie. It's a famous uh, Italian movie. And he said, quote, I've lost all my money on these films. They are not commercial, but I'm glad to lose it this way, to have a souvenir of my life pictures like Umberto D and the Bicycle Thief. In other words, doing the thing is the thing. And again, that comes back to Swan Dive, doing what matters, doing what fills you up, doing what you find to be exhilarating. Uh, and you just have done it again and again and again, and uh, and without fanfare. And uh, what 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 more is in in the future of this journey? You know, which is more bikes, uh, taking this show on the road, uh, riding again, another big ride across Europe. Like, what 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 do you see this becoming? I've been talking and thinking about doing. I would like to do one last long ride, uh, no doubt. Um, there's always another bike in my future. 
Always. I hope so. I hope many, many, many more. And I like to, I like to not only find the bikes, but once I get the bikes, I get it in my shop. I tear it apart, find, figure out what's going on with it mechanically and put it back into, uh, the original condition that it was and then take it, take it for a ride. And some of them ride good. Some of them ride bad. The other day I was yesterday. In fact, I was out riding my bike. Uh, I ride a high wheel bicycle as an, as my everyday transportation and some young man oh, yells awesome. at me and says, um, I just read about you in the, in the newspaper, you know, and I said, hey, good for you, you know. And so <laughs> at least people are getting, you know, they can accept it and see it. And I think that for the most part, they all enjoy seeing it in, how, in how, motion. How does that feel to get the recognition, to get recognized? Is that a reward in some ways? I'm not really a self-promoter. Uh, you guys have put me kind of on the spot here. <laughs> so I'm doing the best I can. But uh, just like Stu said, I, I've been in the background for many, many years. And the opportunity for the Lightner and, and for again, for them to accept the bikes with the way that they have and the enthusiasm has been a really a proud moment for me. And, and my family supports me with what I've done and through the years and and. I guess I got to I pat myself on the back. Was there self-doubt that they would not receive it? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And what that, did that feel that, like? I wouldn't have been let down. I I try to understand both sides of it. You know, it's not it's not for everybody. It's just like uh, one of the volunteers came to me yesterday and and came up I usually I work in the uh, the gift shop, she says, and I heard that you were up here and I wanted to come and meet you and shake your hand. And I haven't seen the bikes, but they've been talking about putting on this display for many for many months now. And I said to myself, bicycles, who wants who cares? You know, it's it's Schwinn or Huffy, whatever. And now that I see them and you talk about it with your passion and, and your conviction and your experience and history part of it, you know, I get it. It fits in absolutely perfect with the Leitner Museum. You know, the other part of it, Stu, is that the, um, uh, the Leitner Museum in the 1880s, they showed us some pictures of the bicycle club that they had. Uh, in the back, in the courtyard, where there's oh, a parking yeah. lot right now. That, that's, yeah, I that's... wanted to. I wanted to read that because uh, in in researching the, the this museum, mind you, it, this building was a hotel built in the eight, in 1880. Well, what happened is Henry Flagler comes into town in like 1882, like a lot of Flori uh, people from the Northeast United States, because of the weather, he finds. St. Augustine, and it doesn't have a rail system. And that's another story for Henry Flagler. But he opens up the uh, Ponce de Leon Hotel, which is now Flagler College in 1887. And it's, it's such a hit that at the same time, he's building the Alcazar Hotel. And it opens up in 1888. Part of his dream uh, to keep the momentum going and the enthusiasm of the tourist trade going is he opens up in 1897, a bicycle riding Academy. Got to remember <laughs> that people don't know what a bicycle is. You know, this is all new technology and the motorcycle's not there. The car's not there. You know, who wants to ride a horse and buggy when you can ride a bicycle and ride where you want to at your own pace on your own time and not rely on anyone else but yourself. And that was a truly remarkable pivoting era in the United in history for the United States. Mm. And the bicycle did just that. It's incredible when you look out at the mezzanine where your display is 
and the windows and the and the balcony uh, over the back where that bicycle club would have convened. Uh, it's just magnificent. It's just a really cool uh, another manifestation of art uh, it is. in that in that yeah. regard. Well, in the um, collection, I acquired two bicycles specifically for that purpose, 1897, 1898, a man's and a woman's bike. And in the photography that uh, the Alcazar has, the Leitner has, there are two pictures of men and women out there at the Bicycle Academy learning to ride the bicycles. So these two bicycles uh, exhibit that part of it. So cool. Well, I, I want to, as we come to the end of this, first of all, I want to hear from you, you know, tell our reader, our listeners what what they need to know to find this exhibit and to learn more about about these kinds of bicycles. But I want to I want to end with a quote here for my sign off. And that is from H.G. Wells, who said, every time I see an adult on a bicycle, I no longer despair for the future of the human race. <laughs> so kudos to you, my friend, for saving the human race. Uh, and I want to add, I, I want to add that when I see uh, when I see a human on a large wheel, is it called a large wheel bicycle, a big wheel bicycle? In the United States, it's called a high wheel bicycle, or believe it or not, we would refer to them as an ordinary high wheel bicycle, an mm-hmm. ordinary. Now, why ordinary? Because the that was the standard style of bicycle in its day, from about yeah. 1878 to 1891. Well, when I see someone on an ordinary high wheel, <laughs> there bicycle, you go, ordinary. I can't not smile and think how on the, how on earth, but uh, but you're doing it, man. So I really appreciate you. So, is there anything you'd like to share more about your exhibit or about about your your passion uh, to our readers before we sign off? Well, you know, you said one thing, Stu, in that st- last statement is that uh, you can't help but smile, and yeah. that's all I see when I'm riding my bike. Is I look out and everybody is is smiling everybody. And it brings a lot of joy. I think to see someone, uh, actually utilizing, uh, a 130 year old piece of equipment out on the road as, uh, as, as it should be done. I love it. Keep smiling. Keep Keep, smiling. Keep smiling. Keep riding. Keep, uh, keep pedaling. And, and by the way, St. Augustine is not a very safe place to ride a bike. I'm just telling you right now. It is not very safe at all. I had a young man the other day come, and and I said, do you have any experience on the bike? He said, not much. I said, well, then we're not going to go for a ride because this is not a a bike-friendly, especially high-wheel-friendly city. Yeah. Search the Leitner Museum. The name of the show is Ride On. Today's guest, Keith Perioni. Ride on, man. Just keep riding on. Your swan dive continues, and we really appreciate you sharing it right here. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate both of your time. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a swan dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.